following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Good evening. We're glad you're here, especially if you're a first-time guest. If you're new to Christian Life, my name is Reed. I am one of the associate pastors here, and I get the privilege and honor of serving our young adults on Sunday nights. Uh, we, we did a series in the fall. We did a series in the fall called The End, and we went through the entire book of Revelation verse by verse. It took forever. Uh, it was like literally five months through 22 chapters. But in the end, in the end, there was less uh, hesitation and intimidation over Revelation. I, I think they get it now. They understand this book for themselves. So it's a tough book. I get it. And so uh, pastor asked if, if I could teach Revelation on, on Wednesday nights uh, with one caveat. He said, we can't do this through October. So he said, can you do it in two weeks? And I said, I think so. So uh, that's the goal. We're going to look over the next two weeks at the end. And I just want to honor my pastor. My pastor is not only my pastor, but he's also my uncle. And I love him. I honor him. There's so many times... Then I go to the, the big daddy theologian and I say, uh, give me some meat. Because I just ask him a question. And then I just, he's like an encyclopedia Britannica of information. And I just love asking him questions because I run across stuff and I have no idea what this is talking about. And he, he is a wealth of knowledge. So uh, thank you for this opportunity. I never take these lightly. Uh, now, I know some of you are already nervous. You're probably trying to back yourself out the door going, I'll come back in three weeks. But listen. <laughs> I know we get nervous. We talk about, you know, th- th- this stuff, rapture and wrath and judgment and tribulation. Listen, Revelation is not scary. It's not scary if you know Christ Jesus. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you've got nothing to worry about. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, we can settle that tonight too, okay? We did this series, and, and my nine-year-old son, Zach, comes to Continuum and... Um, and so we're doing the whole series, and I literally, as I was trying to teach this, I thought, I want to make it so that he can understand it. And my nine-year-old son never once got scared through the whole series. That's not my goal. He never once got scared. He had a lot of questions, but he never once got scared. And, I, and this is not the goal, not to scare. It's to share in the simplest of terms about this really challenging book so you can leave here and read it and understand it for yourself. That's the goal. That's the goal. That's what we're trying to do. Now, why study the end? Well, I'll start with, this is really, really important to God. It's really important to God. In fact, over 300 references in the New Testament alone about the end times or the second coming of Christ. 216 of the 260 chapters in the New Testament refer to the end times or the return of Christ, including 23 of the 27 New Testament books. So obviously, it's very important to God. So it needs to be important to us. And he doesn't want you to be in the dark about this. He gives us a lot of information. There's a prognosticator uh, by the name of David Mead, and he's been predicting the end of the world and the return of Christ for a long time now, and he's been wrong a lot. (laughs) He thought it was going to happen September 23rd of last year. Didn't happen. He thought it was going to happen November 19th of last year. Didn't happen. And so his new uh, prediction of the apocalypse is April 11th, next Wednesday. So live it up, people. We're all going to (laughs) go... David, this is interesting, David points to the great American eclipse of last August, because we're all, you know, the the world revolves around us, which began in Oregon, the 33rd state, and it ended in South Carolina, which is at the 33rd 
latitude parallel, and it's exactly 33 degrees north of the equatorial plane. The last eclipse of this nature was 99 years ago, or 33 times 3, and Jesus died when he was 33. And there's exactly 33 vertebrae in a normal spine, and Larry Bird wore the number 33, and he had a spine. (laughs) So silly. This is silly, right? So listen, you could literally give me any day of the week, and you give me enough time, and I could make a case that that day is the day. So don't listen to David. Listen, David's not right, and here's how I know. The Bible clearly states this. In fact, in the words of Jesus himself, this is Matthew 24, 36. He says, but about that day, what day? The day when all of it ends, about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So David don't know, I don't know, Jesus doesn't even know. I get this picture of Jesus, he's right now seated at the right hand of God, and I just picture him with one eye on earth, and looking down at us, and looking at the Father and saying, today, not yet son, soon. One of the foundational truths of our church, and every church, is the doctrine of the second coming of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you go to our, our website, and go to the About Us section, you can read about our beliefs uh, regarding the second coming He's coming back, everybody. That's good news. He's returning. And uh, let me say it this way. There will be some generation that will be the end times generation. There will be somebody alive when Jesus returns. I don't know if that will be us or not, but, but it's, it's a fun thought to think about. And I just want to show you one of the verses that clearly states that in Acts chapter 1. Now, just before this, just before Acts 1, of course, Jesus came to earth to save sinners. That's 1 Timothy 1.15. And you and I sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. We blow it. We make mistakes. And the wages or the penalty of that sin is death. That's Romans 6.23. So you and I deserve death. We deserve wrath. That's Ephesians 2.3. We deserve that. But God did not give us what our sins deserve. He gave his son Jesus what our sins deserve instead. So Jesus went to the cross And he paid that price. That debt now is canceled for you. That penalty has been paid. Your your sin is atoned for. That's good news. Then he went into the grave. And then he's the resurrection and the life. So he comes out of the grave. And he appears to hundreds and hundreds of people saying, hey, it's me. I'm back. I'm not a ghost. I'm not an apparition. I'm not a figment of your imagination. It's me. Hey, touch the scars. Come on. And he breathes on them. And he breaks bread with them. It's, It's, I'm back. And then he goes back to heaven enthroned on an everlasting throne, which is where he should be. But before he goes back, he has a conversation with his disciples, and it's recorded in Acts chapter 1. In verse 9, it says, After he had said this, okay, now just before verse 9, in verse 8, he gives the Great Commission. That's what we call it. Uh, but but it's, it's Acts 1, he says, And you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which is where they were standing, in all Judea and Samaria, which is the surrounding area, and to the ends of the earth. Now we call that the Great Commission. It's the great co-mission that not only our church, but every church that calls Jesus Christ Lord is on. That we're on this co-mission together, that we got to take this gospel, we got to witness to people in our Jerusalems, in our surrounding Judea and Samarias, and to the ends of the earth. So he gives him this great commission, this great co-mission. And then he says this, after he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. These men are angels. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? 
This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now they're talking about a place at the top of what's called the Mount of Olives. If you're familiar with Jerusalem's geography, there's a, there's a mountain. On the side of the mountain, there is a grove of olive trees. This is the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where that's found. That's where Jesus spent the night before he went to the cross. This is where he ascended, and he's going to return to that same spot. So that's what that's talking about. Now, we absolutely do not know the day or the hour. And honestly, every generation from Jesus up until now has thought we're the generation. We're not alone. Even the early Christians, they believed so much so that they were that generation that Jesus was going to come back. I love the disciples in in Acts. They're going, he said, go to the upper room. Was this when you're going to come back? Like they thought it was happening right then. They're very confused. And they have this this greeting uh, in in this culture. When I see you at Walmart, we have, what's up? How's it going? They had this greeting. They would grab the hand of another believer and say, Maranatha. Maranatha, which is our Lord is returning. Our Lord's coming back. That's how they would greet each other. There was this great sense of anticipation. And I personally believe it's healthy for all of us that we believe that Jesus Christ might come back today. We got a plan. We got a plan for the next 100 years, but we got to live like he's coming back tonight, right? Let me say that again. We got a plan like he's going to 100 years away, but we got to live like he's coming back tonight. So we have no regrets. So tonight and next week, we're going to do an overview of Revelation, a cliff notes, if you will. And we're going to look at half the book tonight and the other half next week. And it's not going to answer all your questions. That's not the goal. The goal is to give you a roadmap. So when you read this for yourself, you go, okay, I kind of understand what that's talking about a little better. I want you to have some confidence regarding its contents. If you have a Bible, turn to Revelation. It's the very last book of the Bible. We're going to have it on the screen for you as well. We're going to start in Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. It says, the revelation from Jesus Christ. Revelation. First of all, what is revelation? Revelation's root word is the word reveal. Right? So so he's revealing something. What is reveal? It's when you open the door and you say, ta-da! It's when you pull back the curtain as a magician, voila! You're unveiling something. You're revealing something. You're going to have a better understanding and comprehension of what's going on when I show this to you. And so that's what this book is. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. You, you need to read this because you can't fully understand who Jesus is unless you have this book. It's part of who he is. So it's the revelation from Jesus Christ, about Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. Okay, the way we got this book is through John. Remember John? John's one of the 12 apostles, one of the 12 disciples. He was called the beloved disciple. He affectionately gave himself that name. And so he, he, he was close with Jesus, hanging around Jesus. And, and he's the one that's writing all of these down. He hears these things from an angel. He gets these visions. He's writing everything down. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy... And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. There's another really good reason we do this study. Is you're blessed just by being here this week and next. You're just blessed. In fact, it's the only book of the entire Bible that begins and ends with a blessing. Revelation 1 and Revelation 22 both say you're blessed just by hearing the words and applying them to your life. You're blessed tonight. You're blessed tonight. Look at verse 9. 
I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So John is on this island called Patmos, and I'm going to kind of give you a, uh, let's, let's catch you up to why he's there, okay? So Jesus dies, he's buried, he's the resurrection of the life, comes out of the tomb, appears to hundreds and hundreds of people, and in John chapter 20, it says the disciples were in a room with the doors locked for the fear of the Jewish leadership. So they saw what happened to Jesus, and they're thinking, they're coming after us next. So they got the doors deadbolted. And Jesus, it says in John 20, read this for yourself, he comes into the room. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Like you're all in there huddling, like, everybody, everybody be quiet. Be quiet. Don't want them to hear you. And then Jesus comes and he goes, why are we whispering? Ah! Right <laughs> Like, can you imagine that moment? That would be frightening. And he goes, don't be afraid. Like, I love that. Because they're, because they're all probably really afraid. Like, how, how did you get in the room? And, and he goes, look, look, look. It's me. Look. I'm back, baby. I love that, right? So, so they're all huddled in fear, doors locked. And the very next moment, they're boldly professing their faith. What happened in that room? They saw Jesus. That's the only explanation because now they're going, you know what? You can do whatever you want to me. I saw it with my eyes. I heard him with my ears. I touched him with my hands. He is alive. He's alive. So, so they're going around and they're professing. And people are coming to faith left and right. And there's hundreds of people that saw Jesus risen from the grave. So they're, they're validating. Yeah, I saw him. Oh, yeah, I saw him too. Yeah, he came and he, he touched me. He healed me. And so it's growing by the thousands. So the Roman authorities, who were actually the ones that gave the order to kill Jesus, they're like, I thought we got rid of this Jesus problem. And so history records that all of these disciples were martyred in an awful way, in an awful way, except for John. John, they tried to kill, but through a miracle, his life was spared. And so they said, we can't kill you, so we're going to confine you to an island called Patmos. There ain't anybody there, so you can stay there and witness to yourself, bub. So like the, they, they put him on this island. This is in Fox's Book of Martyrs and different things. But anyway... So John's there, and this is when he gets that revelation, okay? So he testifies to everything that he saw. Uh, here he is, on Patmos. I'm, I'm back to verse 9. On the Lord's day I was in the Spirit. See, just in the Spirit. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. Now these were seven literal churches that existed in what is today modern day Turkey. It's Asia Minor. But these churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So John starts writing down what he's hearing. And then look at verse 17. He turns around to see who's talking to him. Watch what happens. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Who's he seeing? Who's behind him? Jesus, yeah. Who else was dead and is now alive forever and ever? Now, John doesn't recognize him immediately because he's in a glorified state, but it's definitely Jesus. And he says, to write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. So that's the summation of Revelation. He goes, I want you to write down everything that you've seen just now, what's now, and what's going to take place. Because I'm going to show you some things, John, and the church of 2018 is going to need to hear these things. 
So that's chapter 1. Chapters 2 and 3 are letters to, again, churches that existed at the time. It was just Jesus trying to write a love letter to the church. And he gives them quite a few admonitions. We're not going to read those tonight for lack of time. Just gives them some warnings. Hey, stop this sin. Quit doing that. You've lost your first love, those kinds of things. But then he encourages them too and saying, hey, you're really doing well in this area. Keep it up. I encourage you. I'm I'm proud of you. So it's encouragement, admonition, that kind of stuff. That's chapters 2 and 3. Chapter 4 starts getting into the future. Now, before I go any further, uh, let me say that most Christian scholars, and when I say most, it's just slightly over half, believe that the rapture, the church going to heaven, that that happens before the tribulation. Okay? And I know there's some different opinions in the room, and that's completely okay. So there's what's called pre-tribulation. Tribulation is the wrath that God pours out on the planet. Uh, There's pre-tribulation, which means we're gone before the tribulation happens. There's post-tribulation, which some people believe that, uh, really smart people, some believe that uh, we'll be here. Christians will be here during the tribulation, during all of the wrath. There's some that believe it's a mid-tribulation, so somewhere in the middle of that tribulation, that wrath will be gone. And there's people that are pan-tribulation that says it's just going to all pan out. I don't really know what's going to happen, it's just going to pan out. Um, Pastor and I... Just, just, just so you know, listen, we, we, don't, say, we don't say this, uh, this is just our guess. We think that we're pre-tribulation. We, we're both pre-tribulation, we're pretty staunch in that belief, only because, uh, and he said a great line to me today, and I love this, he said, if it was my wife and kids, and I had to do something like that, I want to take my wife and kids out of here, and, and we are his bride. We are, the church is the bride of Jesus Christ, so I think... I think we're gone. If you think differently, that's completely okay. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. We're going to have some disagreements because if you think about this, think about this. Revelation is one guy at least 2,000 years ago that's seeing a vision. And then he's writing it down. I love reading Revelation because it sounds like a middle school girl wrote it because he uses so many similes. He's like, it was like, and then like, and then he had like, because he can't. He's trying to describe stuff he doesn't have a vocabulary for. It's really funny if you read it. I mean, think about it. He's never seen a car. So let's just say he's, he saw a snapshot of April 4th, 2018, and he saw right out front, and he sees a car. What would you say? It was a lion with round things. Like, how, like how would you? So, so listen, there's going to be things we disagree upon. I'm not dogmatic about any of this. I just want to make it really simple for you and hopefully come away going, okay, I have a better understanding. If we disagree about certain things, that's okay. But I think we're pre-trib. And here's one of the reasons it's pre-tribulation is because chapter 4, verse 1 says, After this, I looked. After what? Because in chapters 2 and 3, he's writing to the church, all these letters to the church, all these letters to the church. And the very next thing he says is after this. After what? I think it's after the church, after the church age, after the church is gone. So I believe the church is gone. I think that's what that's talking about. Regardless, it continues. And there before me, John says, was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And so John gets to see the throne room of God. How awesome is that? I wish all of us could see five seconds of the throne room of God. It would change our worship. It would change the way we serve. It would change the way we evangelize. It would change the way we do life. The way we live, uh, meet our neighbors and our coworkers, we would totally be changed. If we could just see God for five seconds, well, I, I got to go back and change some things. 
about my life. He gets to see the throne. He says, I see God, and he had the appearance of jasper and rubies seated on his throne, and a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne, and surrounding the throne were these 24 other thrones, and seated on them were these 24 elders, and they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads, and from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, just this picture of power. John says, in front of the throne there was seven lamps blazing, they're the seven spirits of God, and there was also what looked like a sea of glass that was clear as crystal. He says, at the center around the throne were these four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature had a face like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. And each of the four living creatures had six wings and were covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. And day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Can you imagine? Like that picture of power that these creatures that we've never seen. And they're just like, yeah, nonstop, day and night, just worshiping. worshiping, And they're still looking at you. They're still looking at you. I just, I just keep going. It's just... You're going to go to bed tonight, and they're just holy, holy, holy. I just, this picture. And so we then go, go to uh, Revelation 5, verse 1. Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. Okay, so there's a scroll. Okay, it's got writing on both sides, and it's sealed with seven seals. So you would take some wax, and you drop it on there, and then you would have a ring. I don't have a good ring for that, but you'd have a ring that would have an, an insignia on the ring. And if your ring matched the insignia, then you could open that seal. Well, there's seven seals, and they can't find anybody to open any of the seven seals. So this is the deed to planet Earth. This is the end, and, and nobody can open it. Revelation 5, 4, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, don't weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Everybody get that picture? So, so John's like, I want to get open the scroll. And one of the elders goes, stop crying. There's Jesus. He has the authority to open the seals. Break open the scroll. So Jesus begins to unroll the scroll beginning in chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 1. I watched as the lamb opened the first of the seven seals. And then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown. And he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. And this is where most people put down the Bible and say, I don't have a clue what he's talking about. <laughs> I'm done with Revelation, right? It's kind of confusing, but let's, let's look at this again. Okay, so he says, I, I see a white horse. Its rider held a bow, was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. This is the beginning of the end times period. Let me just break this down. He says, I saw this rider, and he's got a crown, so he had some kind of authority, some sort of a ruler. And he also held a bow, but it doesn't say anything about arrows, just a bow. And because of this, some biblical scholars believe this is someone who ushers in a period of peace. Now, I don't have time to go into this tonight, but Daniel has a lot of prophecy in it as well. It's an Old Testament book that has a lot of prophecy in it as well. And Daniel talks about this period of peace 
on earth. And that really hasn't ever happened in the history of humanity. So there's going to be this period of peace. Maybe this is the same thing. Uh, Maybe this is when that happens. So we're going to get into next week more than this week, but the Antichrist, or the leader that we refer to as the Antichrist. People think the Antichrist is going to be like this wicked dude with horns or something. I don't know what, but he's going to be a very, very, uh, yeah, suave guy with a good personality. He's going to convince a whole lot of people that I'm worth following. He's probably going to be bilingual or trilingual. That's just my own personal opinion because he's got to reach the whole world. He's not, it's, it's not going to be someone currently in politics because nobody likes those people. I'm teasing, I'm teasing, I'm teasing, but kind of not. Um, <laughs> it's going to be somebody that they go, wow, that's a leader I can follow. That's a leader I want to vote for. Democrats, Republicans, let's all vote for this guy. It's going to be somebody that's, and so think about this. If there was somebody that could bring peace to planet earth, specifically to Israel, which has never had peace, the whole world would go, wow. Maybe that's this ruler bringing this in and getting the world behind him. Look at verse 3. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come, and then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth. Again, another reason we think that the first one represents peace, because here this rider is given the ability to cease peace. He ends that and make people kill each other. To him was given a large Sword. So the first rider brings in an, a period of peace, and the second rider comes in and he ushers in some sort of a war, likely a global war. Look at verse 5. When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, and six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. What on earth is that talking about? Okay, so what this is talking about is severe famine. Okay, so this is two pounds of wheat for a day's wages. Two pounds of wheat wouldn't feed me. Might feed you. Wouldn't feed me. That's not very much food. And so I work all day, and I barely make make enough money to feed just me. So we're talking about famine because I've got to feed my wife and my kids and my animals. Like it's severe famine in the land. That's what this is talking about. Uh, And what follows famine, look at verse 7. When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. So it kind of just is a natural progression. You have peace followed by war, followed by famine, followed by death. And a lot of the death is from the famine. A lot of the death is from the war. And it says the wild beasts of the earth. Well, think about it. If there's severe famine, I can't even feed my dogs. And so the animals are hungry. And so it's just a, it's an awful time, an awful time. Look at verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. So when he opens the fifth seal, John sees all the Christians who had died because they followed Jesus. See, in the end times, we're going to get to this more next week, but in the end times, the Antichrist is going to make it illegal to worship God. And so there's going to be people that are worshiping God and they're killed because of their worship. And so here, John is seeing these people and they're going, hey, we died when are you going to avenge our blood? 
Right? That's God, John gets a glimpse of heaven and all these martyred saints crying out to God. Let's keep going. The six seals where it kind of gets eerie. Look at verse 12. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red and the stars in the sky fell to earth as figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the king of the earth, the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? So this is the video we saw a moment ago. There's earthquakes and the sun turns black and the moon turns blood red and stars or maybe meteors are falling from the sky. John says it's like when you shake a fig tree and all the figs are ripe and all of them fall. That's what the sky looks like, just raining down stars. And it's getting so awful that everyone, kings and princes and generals and the commoner and the elite, they're all hiding in caves and under rocks and just saying, save us, because they're so terrified of the wrath of God that's finally being poured out on the planet. That's the end of chapter 6. You go to chapter 7. Chapter 7 is interesting because John goes back. He kind of fills in some of the details that he left out. He says, I didn't say everything that's going on. This is something that's going on as well. So let me kind of fill in and explain some stuff. So look at verse 2. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. And then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. So you see what's happening here? So the angels that are, that are given the power to pour the wrath out upon the planet hears, don't harm the planet. Wait a minute. Again, this is why it's, it's kind of details that we miss. Don't harm the planet. We need to seal God's people first. And these 144,000 are Jewish people of the Jewish lineage that he seals and protects, which is so cool because the Bible begins in Exodus. Remember the plagues that God poured out on the planet in Exodus? And, and, and God protected his people. The last plague, the killing of the firstborn of every child, he says, hey, put some blood on the door frames of your homes. And when the angel of death passes over, he's going to pass over your homes. I'm going to protect my people. So here he's saying the same thing. These are Jewish people that come to faith, and he says, before I, all this happens, I'm going I'm to seal your head so none of you are affected by this. Just, I love that God has a history of protecting the Jewish nation. Verse 9, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language. That's us. Come on, somebody. All right. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. So John says, so there's the 144,000 Jewish people. And then I saw people from every tribe, from every nation, from every people group, from every language. They're there. Look at verse 13. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? And where do they come from? I answered, sir, you know. I love that. He's like, hey, where do they come from? Man, I'm just seeing this. You tell me. I don't know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So it seems like these are people who are in the Great Tribulation, and after seeing some of the things that are happening, start going, this is true. 
I know enough. I know enough. I was, at a, I was at a Christian Life Austin service one night, and this really weird dude was talking about this stuff, and now it's happening, and I thought he was cuckoo, and I left, and I never came back to that church, but now it's kind of making sense to me that he was talking about earthquakes and sun black and blood moon red, and I'm, okay, I'm in, I'm in, I give my life to Jesus. There's going to be people that know enough, but never made that, that leap of faith, that in these end times, they're going to go, okay, I'm in now, I'm, get, Jesus, take me, I need you in my life. I think that's what's happening here, and it, it, see what's going on, this, this is What's happening? And then, because it goes on in verse 15, it says, Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Remember the famine. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, which is another plague we'll get to later, nor any scourging heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. Amen. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Can we just give him some praise? He's going to take care of his people. That's awesome. All right, let's go to chapter 8, verse 1. We're getting to the end here. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven. For about half an hour. So it opens the seventh seal. And there's silence in heaven for half an hour. And this is why most biblical scholars think that women don't get to go to heaven. <laughs> I'm kidding! I'm kidding! It's a joke! I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> my wife's going to get me later. I'm sorry. Listen. I have to have humor in my life, and this is not a funny message. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> I love you, ladies. Jokes. Just jokes. Okay. <laughs> what is this silence? He opens the seventh seal, and it's almost like this. Oh. Like what comes next is so awesome, and it's so awful. And it's just like, like nobody can speak. Look at verse 2. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. So what's the seventh seal? The seventh seal is these seven angels are lining up, and they're each given a trumpet. And every time one of them blows their trumpet, more wrath is poured out on the planet. Look at verse 7. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down on the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all of the green grass was burned up. So he sees this hail, blood, fire, burns up a third of the earth. The second angel, verse 8, sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. So the first angel blows the trumpet, a third of the earth dies, and now it's the third of the sea that's dying. Verse 10, the third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. So if there wasn't enough death on the land, now the waters are bitter, and people are drinking from the water, and they're dying as a result of the bittered water. Verse 12, the fourth angel sounded his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light and also a third of the night. Now it's messing with the celestial beings, so now we have less daytime. Verse 13, as I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe, 
Woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. I don't know what that is. But he says, I saw an, an eagle and he's flying around saying, hey, you think this is bad? Just wait, it gets worse. Revelation 9, 1. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. Now the abyss, as best as we can infer, is this dungeon where a lot of demons have been kept. It's a dungeon in hell, that, that in the depths of hell, where demons have been bound. And it says that this star is given the key to the shaft. Now, if you have your Bible open, you're looking at Revelation 9, there's probably a little, a little notation there that you can look down and look at the footnotes. A star can mean a star, like a celestial being star. It can also mean an angel. So it makes sense that this is, this is a satanic angel, maybe Satan himself. Lucifer was a fallen angel. And he's coming down, he's unlocking this abyss and opening this up. Look at verse 3. And out of the smoke came locusts. Locusts came down on the earth and were given power like that of scorpions on the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not allowed to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes. During those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. Come on. Like one of the things for me that Revelation does, it propels me to share my faith. Because I can't read this and think about people that I know, that I do life with, that are far from God, that if they, if, if the end happened tonight and we get raptured tonight and this started tomorrow, that this would happen to them. And I have the keys. Jesus gave us the keys to death and Hades, and, and, and he gives those to us. He says, I want you to give this good news. This propels me to want to tell people, hey, you've got to know Jesus. Not to scare them into faith, but I think that's one of the reasons there's 30 minutes of silence in heaven because they're thinking, this is so cool, we're on Team Jesus, we made the right call, but oh, wow, look at all these people that we know. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, verse 13. Said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000, which is 200 million. I heard their number. Now, there's these four demonic angels who are bound at the Euphrates River, which is a real river uh, in, in the Middle East. And then these these this army comes out and kills a... Th- now, most of mankind's already dead. Half, of man, half the planet's probably dead at this point. But now this army is, is given the authority and the power to kill a third of who's left. Now, we don't know if this is a demonic army or if this is a physical human army. I don't know. I kind of lean toward it being a spiritual army, but I'm, it's, com- it's completely up to interpretation. The verses that follow, we won't read, but it describes these people, and they don't look like people I've seen in Austin. So I don't, I don't, I don't know... But either way, this army comes, kills a third of mankind. Verse 20, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, or sexual immorality, or their thefts. Isn't that amazing? That you can see all of this go on and go... I'm not following God. 
And you say, well, that can't happen. It does every day. It does every day. We have the terror in Florida. We have the terror in Vegas. And you hear people say, well, if God allowed that to happen, then I can't follow that kind of God. And they just continue to live in their sin. And that's what's happening here. They're, well, if God is love, why would he do this to the planet? I can't follow a God that allows this. And they continue to live in their sin. Chapter 10, this is the last one we're going to look at tonight. Verse 1. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun and his legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. So he says, I see this angel. He's got a scroll, little scroll. Verse 9. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. I love this. This is one of my favorite chapters. He said to me, take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. (laughs) It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. So, (laughs) that makes me laugh. I don't know why, it just does. So he sees this angel, and he's got a little scroll, and he goes, Hey, what's that you got there? And he goes, Here, eat this. And he goes, Okay. And he starts eating the scroll. (laughs) That's just weird. (laughs) And he goes, it tasted sweet, but then he said it made my stomach turn sour. And I think the little scroll, this is just my own personal opinion, I think the little scroll is symbolic of the bigger scroll. Because to us as followers of Jesus, I've heard a lot of amens and hallelujahs tonight, because it is going to be a sweet day when we see, wow, our faith has been made sight. But it's also going to be a really difficult day. Because we know that we could have done so much more for the kingdom of God on this planet. And our stomachs will be sour because we're like, wow, I could have told so many of my coworkers and my neighbors and my family and my friends about him. And ended devastation, at least for those in my circles of influence. Randy, if you'll help me. So that's where we're going to stop tonight. And I know I unpacked a whole lot of stuff, but we're going to take communion and I just need to get done. But here, I'm saving next week chapters 11 through 22, and I don't want you to miss it. Revelation 12 and 13 are really interesting because it tells about what Satan is doing during all of this. We've heard about what God is doing, but what is Satan up to? And it gets into the Antichrist and the one world currency and the one world government. It's really, really interesting. The mark of the beast will go all the way into what heaven looks like. We'll get into that at the end of next week. But here's the last thought. Uh, We're going to stand in a minute. We're going to sing. Listen, my, my heart is, is for this to be revelation, okay? I want you to have revelation. I want you, as, as you're listening to this, for your eyes to be open and go, wow, I never really understood that, but I think I have a better grasp of that. And I'm not dogmatic about this stuff, okay? So if you have a different belief system or you think something different about a particular passage, that's okay. At the end of the day, all that matters is that Jesus is returning. He is coming back. And there's going to be a lot of wrath on the planet for those who don't know him. And so if you're here tonight and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, listen, I'm not talking about you know, know about Jesus. I know about Donald Trump. He's our president. He is a celebrity. He fires people. He likes gold. I know many kids he has who he's married to. I can tell you his address. I know a lot about Donald. I don't know Donald. You can't know a lot about Jesus. You got to know Jesus. You got to know him. You got to know him. And if you're here tonight and you say, I don't know him, listen, we can settle that tonight. 
You can leave here a saved person. Salvation happens in an instant. Sanctification or becoming like Christ happens over a lifetime, but you can get saved tonight in this church service and leave here redeemed and get baptized on Sunday. Amen. Come on. So I want to give you an opportunity. If that's you, listen, this stuff should not scare you. It should not scare you. And if it does, I would question, do you know him? Do you know him? I want you to know him so bad. Staying with me all over the place. 